Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desired what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and and envying each other. It's the word of God. So the year was uh, 1979, and a uh, flight designed for sightseeing took off from uh, New Zealand on the 28th of November that year, and it was Air Air New Zealand Flight 901, and they were being piloted by two experienced pilots, but this was going to be their first trip to take uh, sightseers over Antarctica. Uh, just simply to see that continent up close. And so they left that day with 257 passengers on board. What they did not know was that the night before, those responsible for uh, plugging in the flight coordinates had um, miscalculated and were off on the flight path by two degrees, just two degrees. And as the flight um, headed over the continent of Antarctica, the pilots decided, as this was a sightseeing tour, to come down an altitude of about 10,000 feet to allow the passengers to get a great view of the, uh, the terrain, the snow, and the mountains. And what they didn't know was that the path had put them directly in front of uh, Mount Erebus, which rises 12,000 feet above the Antarctic floor, Uh, It's an active volcano, and this flight, with 257 people, slammed into the side of that volcano, and everybody died. It was a great tragedy, and as they investigated it, again, they discovered 
But the problem was, these pilots who had never taken that particular flight but were experienced were simply following the coordinates that were only two degrees off. Two degrees makes a difference over time. You know, if a flight would take off from LAX and its destination be New York City, but if it was off by two degrees, it would not land in New York City. It would actually land in Washington, D.C. You see, just a, a little bit of error spread out over a longer period of time results in a whole lot of error. Well, today, this weekend, our nation celebrates its birthday. Happy birthday, America. And um, at this time, usually Americans remember a number of things, uh, fireworks among them, right? And uh, I don't know if you're going to be blowing things up. That's what me and my uh, kids did during the uh, 4th of July thing. We just uh, celebrated that with uh, fireworks. Uh, but uh, the, the concept of freedom is often mentioned. And it's only right and appropriate because we enjoy freedoms that few people in this world uh, are able to enjoy. But what, do we mean, what we mean by freedom, I think, has changed over time. I think the definition has changed over time so that it's, it's just maybe just a little bit off, but over time, it makes a big difference. Freedom is also a concept that is mentioned often in the New Testament. In fact, um, we are uh, told that in Christ, we are free. Freedom is at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. However, I would say that what t people understand today, I'm talking about in popular culture, about freedom and what it is and what the gospel says about freedom would really be two very different things that kind of can be just a few degrees off but becomes great over time. I would say that if you were asked your, your typical American, what is freedom? If you just do a man on the street interview, just go up randomly and start talking to folks, I think what you would hear more than anything is, it's the freedom to do what I want to do. Yeah, very common. Probably a lot of folks would affirm that. And yet, the, the classic Christian understanding of freedom is very different. It's, it's this, that in Christ, we are free to do good. That's a big difference, isn't there? There's a big difference to say freedom is getting to do what I want to do, and freedom is my freedom to do good. So I want to talk about freedom today. This is a standalone message. Um, next week, by the way, we're going to begin a new series on the Gospel of Mark. And I'm so excited about this. Love Mark, shortest of the Gospels, fast-moving, fast-paced. It's told by Peter, of course, it's fast-moving, fast-paced. And it's going, to be, it's going to take us through much of the summer. But today, this message... And we turn to Paul's letter to the church of, uh, uh, to the Galatians. Galatia was a province in Asia Minor. It's in modern-day Turkey. It's not one city. It's, it's a region. And so there were a number of churches that would have originally received this letter. And he has to write to them because after he came preaching the freedom that we have in Christ, there were others who came in after him and were contradicting his message. So he has to write this letter, clear up some things. And one of the things he does in this letter is clear up a misunderstanding about freedom and what it really is. So it's a, it's a major theme of uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. And he, he wants us to know what we're free from, but he also wants us to understand what we're not free to do. And then he wants us to understand um, that we are free for something, that we are freed up to do something. Um, but first, what we're not free from. Um, he says in 
um, the opening lines here. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do you hear that? You were called to be free. You called to know Jesus Christ. You were called to be free. And free from what? Free means that at one point we weren't free. At one point we were in bondage to something. At one point we were locked up and in jail to something, right? He says a couple things in this letter. I'll just summarize for you. First of all, we're free from the obligations of the law as a step or a way to earn the approval or, or our favor of God. God loves us unconditionally, and yet the understanding was, well, in order to, to earn God's approval, you had to keep the law. Now, there were 613 laws. There are 613 laws in the Old Testament. That's a lot of law-keeping, and here's the problem. Once we break one, we become a lawbreaker. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under curse, as it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's, that, that, I think, includes all of us. Everyone who does not continue to do everything. Anybody here want to raise their hand and say, I've continued to do everything that's written in the book? Huh? I don't think any hands are going up. If you do, we'll talk afterwards, okay? I'll talk with your spouse, and we'll clear this up real fast. Okay? Um, and so that's a burden that nobody can bear. We're free from that. God loves you unconditionally. In fact, uh, here's the answer. In, in summarizing again, chapter 4, he says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption of sonship. The, 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 what we now have, instead of this, this bondage to keeping the law, we are sons and daughters of God. That's the opposite of, of slavery. Instead of a slave, you're, 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 a, you're a family member. Not a slave anymore. You're a family member. You're a son or a daughter of God in Jesus. And, and that's, the op that's, the, that's the opposite. And that's what we're now offered in Christ. So we're free from this obligation to earn the approval of God by law keeping. Just never possible to begin with. And secondly, what are we free from? Well, we are now free from the power of sin. Now, there's several references, and I'd have to dig in a little deeper to show you how he talks about that in Galatians, but the easiest way is just simply to go to the teachings of Jesus in John 8, because Paul always is building on the teachings of Jesus. And here, he's in a debate with religious leaders, and he says, very truly, Jesus said, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Opposite of freedom, slavery, right? Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. There again, there's the contract. Instead of being a slave, you're a son or a daughter. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That Jesus has come to bring us real freedom. That, that, that we are free from the power of sin. See, as a Christian, sin remains, but it doesn't reign. It's there, we still sin, but now because of the power of the Holy Spirit given to us, we do not have to live under the control of sin anymore. And we all know what that looks like. Sometimes it's obvious, like when it comes to addictions. Whether that's an addiction to drugs, alcohol, or to work. We can see how addictions can drive us. We can see how a person who can't control their temper how that anger seems to be in control of them. They're not in control of that, right? There's a lot of ways where we can see how sin keeps us in, in bondage. 
But in Christ, we're free from the power of sin. So this is what we're free from, all right? Now, that's what we're free from. We're going to see in a moment what we're free to do. Uh, but Paul first wants to clear up and, 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 and um, clear up a misunderstanding around freedom. So he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Now, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. We say, well, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. Now, he says you're not free to indulge the flesh. What does he mean? He says you're not free just to do whatever it is you want to do. Now, what does he mean by that? First, let's clear up our understanding of flesh. When he says we're not free to indulge the flesh, he's not saying, he's not referring to our physical bodies. That's real easy to kind of fall into that mindset. Um, and it's very Greek. Greek thinking is dualistic, meaning there's two parts of a human being. There's the body and there's the spirit. And the spirit is good and it lives forever and the body is bad and we're going to shed that one day. That's very Greek. It's not Christian. We are embodied souls. Our bodies really matter. When, he's, when, the, when Paul or other New Testament writers are talking about the flesh, they're not talking about the body. They're talking about that aspect of us, the human nature that is fallen, that aspect, that part of us that is in rebellion against God. He says, so you're not free as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, to indulge the flesh, to do what you want to do. You're not free to live a me-centered life. And again, that's kind of a common misunderstanding of what freedom is, that I am free to do whatever I want to. Nobody can tell me what to do, and doggone it, I'm going to do what I want and get what I want in this world. That's not... Biblical understanding of freedom. One way this gets expressed is in the phrase that you hear a lot of, you're not the boss of me. You ever heard of that? Yeah, you're not the boss. It's really bad English, right? It's, it's, you, you, if you want to say it, say you're not my boss, right? But you're not the boss of me. What's being captured with that? Well, I think it was a theme song in uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Did anybody watch that old show? Malcolm? Yeah, I never watched it. Okay. But apparently the theme song for the show had, you're not the boss of me in it. Well, that's not where it first appeared. By the way, I thought this was kind of a new phrase, all right? Not the boss of me. Um, but actually, it goes back to a, an 1883 children's book. And I was a kid saying this. And it is kind of an infantile, childish thing to say. You're not the boss of me. You can almost picture hands pounding, you know, you know feet stomping. You're not, good. You're not the boss of me. You're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, right? Um, my, I have uh, some grandchildren, a couple of them here this morning. And Lucy, who is not with us today, is going to turn four in just a little while, just a few days. And uh, Anthony was just telling us this, year, this uh, last night, as several kids here for uh, the holiday weekend. And Lucy is really uh, verbose. She has a big vocabulary, and she has, she's a little bit of drama. Okay, And um, I think a week or so ago, she was crying. She was just crying. And sometimes Anthony, my son, has just learned to let her cry, you know. And so finally, after about five minutes of her crying, Anthony says, Lucy, why are you crying? And she says, because I'm not, I'm crying because I'm not getting my way. <laughs> you know, at least she just says it, right? We pout and we kind of throw fits sometimes. And it's what? It's all about the fact we're not getting our way. She was at least honest about it. <laughs> um, 
it's cute until it gets uh, that that attitude kind of stays with us into adulthood, right? And we see this expressed all kinds of different ways. You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not the boss of me. It's my body. It's my life. It's mine, you know. And we say no to it. And boy, did we see a lot of this in the past couple years. A lot of this. Oh, my goodness. You can't tell me what to do. And um, in fact, I think one of the things that we see this freedom expressed as today is um, we see it expressed in kind of an anti-authority mindset, which is rampant. Um, and, 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 and you can understand some of it. There's a loss of trust in America. There's a loss of trust in just about every institution. There's a loss of trust in just about every organization, all right? And that loss of trust gets kind of manifest in sort of a, a, a rebellious attitude, an anti-authoritarian view or anti-authority. We're not free, though, from obeying authorities. We see it, we see it though, everywhere, right? We mistrust government, and for some good reasons, right? We, we mistrust media. We don't trust um, the medical community, the education community, the church community. We don't trust big business. And, and, it, and it gets expressed as sort of this, you know, I'm not going to do what they tell me to do kind of mindset. Heck, we, we even see it um, in, in funerals today. I was listening to a podcast the other day about burial practices. I know the things pastors listen to. <laughs> it's the world I live in, okay? And... Um, Anyway, it was talking about how funerals have changed dramatically over the past 40 years. If you're about my age, you've seen that. I mean, the practices have changed dramatically. And what's interesting is that burial practices don't typically change. For centuries, they can go unchanged. Why? Because at a time of loss and grief and pain, we want to return to something that is stable and consistent, right? But burial practices have changed so dramatically, and they said, you know what's at the heart of this? I never, got, I never thought of this before. This sort of, uh, we're going to stick it to the man. You know, those funeral directors just out to get our money. And by golly, we're going to do this, that, or the other. I thought, oh, it's even there. It's everywhere. I'm not going to do what they tell me to do. By golly, I'm going to do it my way. And just for the record, I love our uh, funeral homes here in town and the funeral directors I work with are tireless servants. They are tireless servants. And uh, it's a hard job that they have, extremely hard, and I'm grateful for every one of them. But still, you see it everywhere. Can I just say, friends, um, as Christians, I'm speaking to us as followers of Jesus, we have to be very careful when it comes to decisions to flaunt the rules or to disobey authority. Let me, let me read two different passages which are very significant about this because it, it gets to the heart of freedom. In, in Romans chapter 13, Paul says this, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Think Paul had just forgotten, repeated himself there or is he driving home a point? Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Skip to verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. 
This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. This is why, friends, we've got to be very careful. When we get on an anti-authority kind of rant, when we rebel against authority, Paul is saying, you could find yourself rebelling against God. So it's, 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 it's thin ice. Peter says this. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and, oh, I'm sorry, wrong verse. He says, submit yourselves to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as to the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. There's that freedom. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Here he says, submit to authorities for the Lord's sake. Why do I submit to authorities? Because I like them? No. I submit to authorities for the Lord's sake. And remember, he was writing to folks who were living in imperial Rome. Was actively persecuting the church. So my freedom does not mean I just get to do what I want and flaunt authority. Um, but also doesn't mean that I'm, I'm, I'm free from restraint. You know, we say we're free from the law, and therefore I can do what I want. And you'll hear some folks say that, you know. No. You're free from obeying the law and the law and perfect obedience to the law, making you right with God. Nobody can live under that. It's, it's, it's too hard. Nobody can do that. We're not free from moral restraint. Um, actually, do you know God's moral laws are there to protect us? They're there to guard us, kind of like guardrails. Guardrails are there to protect you from going off the cliff. God's moral law is there to, to protect us and to keep us from going off the cliff, going off the rails. We're not free from restraint. We're free to obey God. Uh, sort of like the parable of the kite. You ever heard the parable of the kite? I've used it a couple times over the years. It's a story about a kite who's flying high in the sky on a beautiful spring day, and the wind is breezy and going, and he's going high. And, and the kite is, is saying, oh, man, if I could just go higher. He's looking at the clouds above him. If I could just be free from the string, I would fly high above the clouds, and I would soar to the heavens if I was only free from the string. And then one day... The string broke, and the kite came tumbling to the ground. For you see, the very thing that was holding it back was keeping it up. And that's God's law for us. So we're not free from the moral law. We're not free from obeying authorities. We're not free to do what we want to do. So what are we free for? He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. What are we free? Again, we're free to do good. Freedom in the Christian sense is this freedom to, freedom for Serving others, loving our neighbor, 
We are free to do that. So every time we love our neighbor, every time we serve our neighbor, every time we serve somebody in need, we are living out of Christian freedom because Christ has set us free to do that. See, I don't have to put my focus on all 613 laws because if you do that, your focus is going to be on the law. Now that Christ has taken care of that, I can, I can now love. I can give of myself to serve. I can, I can um, do good for others. And yeah, it actually, in some respects, it puts limits on what I want to do, but it enables me to do what is greatest and best. One of my all-time favorite movies is Secondhand Lions. Do you remember Secondhand Lions? Came out about 19 years ago. If you're really young and haven't seen that, you got to go back and see it. It's a great movie about a, a young man uh, who is abandoned by his mother and dropped off at the home of his two great uncles. And they were crotchety old guys who uh, were, let's just say, eccentric and were a little different. They're there with their shotguns because when traveling sh salesmen showed up in the 60s, they would take a shot above their heads and send them away, okay? They were characters. And these guys were used to doing what they wanted, when they wanted to do it, how they wanted to do it. They just lived a life of total freedom, right? And along comes this great nephew, and now they got to raise this boy. And all of a sudden, they discover what real freedom is about. And it's, 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 a, it's a great movie, but at the end, the, the whole story ends up, uh, spoiler alert, is, is he comes and stays with them permanently. But before he does, the nephew sets some ground rules, like all the dangerous things they've been doing, can't do that anymore. All the terrible food they've been eating, can't do that anymore because they've got to stick around because they're going to raise him. And you see, they have a new freedom, the freedom to raise this young man, and they do, and they do it um, joyfully. We are free to do good. He says, use your freedom to serve one another humbly in love. Jesus and the cross, of course, gave us the greatest example of what love is. But he acted that out in a parable on the night that he was betrayed by washing the feet of his disciples. That was never a job that um, a, an important person did. It was always the job of the least important person in the room. But Jesus, the most important one in the room, did this for his disciples. And now he said, now you do as I have done for you. Jesus took a basin of water and a towel. And one by one, he washed the feet of his disciples. He said, I've set you an example. Now do as I have done for you. So, friend, every time you get a, a basin of water and a towel, figuratively speaking, and you serve somebody else, you are living out of true freedom. You are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, who said, if the Son sets you free, You'll be free indeed. Why? Because you're now free to love, which is the greatest of all the things that we can do. Um, this year, we've, I've talked about funerals. I've done way too many funerals, all right, way too many. And uh, we've said goodbye to some dear LaCroix saints, some people who've been part of our fellowship for a long time. Uh, first one was uh, Earlene Thomas, Mrs. Thomas, as we all affectionately know her. She, uh, she was the... the the widow of late John, Johnny Thomas, Pastor Thomas, and our church has had this partnership together. And it was a beautiful partnership. And when I did her funeral, and when I talked to her family, always share things about their life, what we focused on was what a prayer warrior she was. And how she prayed fervently. How she would call people and want to know how she could pray for them. And that woman spent hours a day in prayer. And on her funeral, we remember how she served us through prayer.
We also said goodbye to Laureen Grable, who was with us from the second day in the, in the theater and just a saint, a pillar of this church. And at her funeral, we talked about how she had the ministry of writing notes of encouragement. And in the funeral, there were quite a few people there, which is pretty impressive when you get in the 90s and you've got a crowd, okay? And I said, how many of you received a note from Laureen? And every hand in the room went up. And we remembered that day that Laureen loved us well by writing us notes. I have dozens of notes from her. And oh, how she encouraged me. And then most recently, we said goodbye uh, to one of the true um, characters in our midst, A.J. Stemble. And if you know A.J., you know why I'm smiling right now. A.J. was a roadie for rock bands before he met Jesus. And then in his own words, he became a roadie for Jesus. And uh, he served quietly behind the scenes here, setting up musical equipment, running wires, running cables, doing whatever our team needed for many, many years. And we talked about that at his funeral. What we remembered at the end of A.J.'s life was how he served and how he gave of himself. And one day, I may be called on to do your funeral. What will I share with the crowd about what you did to serve others? Because that will bring a smile to people's face. And that was something worth remembering, isn't it? So he says here, don't indulge your flesh. Rather, take your freedom and humbly serve one another. Because at the end, we only remember the things that matter the most. And love and action is what we matter. Um, well, how will I know if I'm living in this true freedom? Paul tells us the next verse. He says, if you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. Oh, I see, throw that in there. Because if, if you have the opposite, if you have a group of people and their mindset is, I'm going to do what I want, you're not the boss of me, it's going to be like a room of toddlers trying to play together. You ever watch that room? Yeah? Uh, toddlers don't play together. They play against each other. Right? You ever seen a toddler show interest in a toy only because the other kid has it? They haven't shown any interest whatsoever in that toy, but the other kid has it. Now they want it. They don't play with each other. And if we look at freedom as just doing what I want to do, you put a bunch of folks like that in close proximity to each other, they're going to be going to war with each other. That's kind of what we have in America today. But see, we in the church are supposed to be different. We're supposed to have a different approach so he says, be careful. If you use your freedom to serve yourself, you're going to bite and devour one another. You're going to destroy each other. So one sign that I'm living in true freedom is that relationships in my life are healthy. I have healthy relationships because I'm not, it's not all about me. I'm getting what I want. I'm serving, and they're serving me, and we're serving one another. So we are free to do good. How are you taking your freedom and using it these days to serve? Every time you take up that basin, every time you take that towel, and you go to serve. Right now, some of you are being served because your babies are in the nursery and somebody's watching them for you, or your children are in children's ministry. On Wednesday nights, you're, you have adults with our teenagers. Or maybe you work at a food pantry. Or maybe uh, you tutor children one of the things that has happened in the past couple of years is we've kind of taken a step back from serving. I would invite you to use your freedom 
to find a way to serve, to humbly love and serve each other. If we do that, we're going to show the world what real freedom looks like because we're free to do good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. We thank you for what it isn't. And we thank you that it is a freedom to love, a freedom to serve. And we thank you, Jesus, that you took the basin of the town, you washed the feet of the disciples, and you did that for the whole world at the cross, giving yourself for others. God, may we show the world around us a different kind of freedom. May we show them your freedom, the freedom you've given to us. So help us to be a people who are serving one another, giving of ourselves to others, loving our neighbors ourselves. Uh, this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.